Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves taking passages to foreign countries, Palmer. How are you today? I am great. Do you know why I'm great? Why are you great? Because it's cold outside, the holiday season is upon us, it is my time of year. See, now they don't know we're really filming this in August. Nor are we filming it because this is an audio This is Then audio why podcast. did I wear my powdered wig? I don't know. Pink pink wigs do look good on you, Palmer, though. They do. Yeah, they do. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. There it That's is. Pretty... Oh, good. Well, there we go. We have another voice on the podcast because... Oh, good. You heard that, too. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> because we are joined today by, I would say, um, I would say recurring guest... Uh, Scott, how are you today? I'm good. I was like, how is Tim going to do this? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just waiting. I'm trying to think of recurring guests because you've basically been on once a season or just, you know, no, like once you start once you started coming on, you know, so this is this would be the third. No, season. he wasn't on last season. Yes, he was. No, I was. I no. was in I was in uh, I was the season before. This is only my second appearance. Ah, oh, we couldn't write you into the show, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be bothered. Oh, man. Well, Scott, welcome back. Scott from the Suicide Squad, uh, Suicide Squad cast is, of course, joining us. Scott, how have you been since we last talked to you on Academy Rewind? Uh, I've been good. It, I've been I've been really good. And it was kind of funny because this was one where it's like, no, I don't want to pick the year. Just randomly shove me in the year. Let's see where I let's see how it turns out. And how do you feel it turned out for you? Well, you at least put me in another year where I've where at least one of these movies I absolutely adore, and the rest of them was like I have neither seen nor really heard of almost any of these others. So that is, that, that's pretty much where all of us landed because I know I had seen Amadeus, Palmer. I've had, never seen any of them. You had not seen any of them. No. This was a fresh, yeah, smattering for you. Okay, so Palmer, yeah. what won Best Picture? Amadeus. Amadeus won. Yeah. Because it's a superior film. Because it's the only one anyone's ever heard of. That is also true. That is also very true. <laughs> that is also true. That doesn't mean the rest of them were bad, though. No. It and just it doesn't mean Amadeus was good. That's mm, true. Actually, mm. Well, I'm well. Category: If you take it from the the best picture winner is not always the best picture winner, as we have discovered over the course of the show. Absolutely, that's true. Is it true here? We'll find out at the end because the other movies we are talking about are A Soldier's Story, Places in the Heart, The Killing Fields, A Passage to India, and Amadeus, of course. So let's go backward to A Soldier's Story, directed by Norman Jewison, written by Charles Fuller, based on the play that he also wrote, starring Howard E. Rollins Jr., Adolph Caesar, Art Evans, David Allen Greer, Dennis Livcombe, and Denzel Washington. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Caesar, and Adapted Screenplay. It won no awards. That's sad. Isn't it sad? The, it, uh, the plot of the story is a black soldier is killed while returning uh, to his base in the Deep South. The white people in the area are suspected at first, but a, a tough black army attorney is brought in to find out the truth. Uh, and then we find out more through a series of flashbacks. It's pretty much a good old murder mystery with... Classic World War Two racism just thrown right in the mix. But do they call him Captain Tibbs? I do not believe they do. No, oh, no, dang it. It, it's it's not a direct tie into In the Heat of the Night. 
in the heat of the night, which was people also will done. find no, her. Find her. <laughs> but um, but that was also done by by the director. Yes, yes. it was. Yeah, Norman yeah. Jewison. Yeah. yeah, in the heat of the night is a great film. Yes, we covered it. Already. Yes, we. Yes, I know. I, I I distinctly remember talking about it with you. In this room? No, no, no. Definitely bef- not in this. No, room. before I moved. Yeah, yeah, that was years ago. Now, <laughs> anyway, I really enjoyed a soldier story. It was brisk, which I appreciate when doing Academy <laughs> Rewind. It's like a solid hour and forty. It's a it's a murder mystery with sprinkles of racism that I think are still sadly relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it is a very fast paced story. Mm-hmm. You blink and it's kind of over compared to some of the other movies this year. And the cast is just... Well, Palmer, really when good. you blink but you don't wake up for a few hours, that's actually called sleeping. Well, the movies need to be better. <laughs> uh, the, but the cast is really good. You have Adolf Caesar, who was nominated. Mm-hmm. You have Denzel Washington, David Allen Greer. You also have Robert Townsend. Robert oh, right. Townsend? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meteor Man. Yep. Uh, and the story is timeless. It feels like a few good men because it's a murder thing that takes place on. Yeah, I thought that too, and yeah. it was a play, and you could tell and it, was it was a play, play because nobody stops talking the whole time, and the sets are kind of very stripped down. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's also they also didn't have a it's lot a, of money. It's a military. It's also a military base, and yeah, they in shot Alabama, Alabama, Louisiana, Louisiana, Louisiana. but wow. filmed in Arkansas. So, oh. yeah. yes. So I was in the right. I was basically yes, sam- you were in the south. You I were w- right. I wanted to sandwich myself. In between those places, so I chose Alabama, or maybe because Scott is from Alabama. I was going to say this. This I is this is just prejudice going on because I'm on the show today. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's prejudice, Scott. How did you like the movie? It was okay. I, it was one of those movies that I have to say that when I was watching it, it was brisk. I had to go back and watch a couple of parts because I, my attention wavered, and because my attention wavered, I missed plot points yeah, because sure. because of the briskness. And like the suicide that because it got introduced so late in the movie, I was like, oh, the guy committed suicide. OK, let me go back and rewind and watch that part again, because I, I, mm-hmm. I'll admit my I, I want my my eyes went to my phone. It's one of those movies that I felt like because of the racial themes, that's why it gets nominated. Otherwise, I, it, it's one of those best picture nominees that I go. This was nominated for best picture? Question mark. And that's kind of how I landed on the film. It was also the first one I watched in the uh, in preparation for this episode. It was the first one that I watched yeah, as well. Me too. And I, I'm not sure if I, 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 I think I see what you're saying. Where like you're not sure if it's best picture material apart from some of the themes that it deals with, but. But I th- I think it's really well written and it's it's pretty tight. Like maybe it doesn't maybe the way it's filmed doesn't completely hold your attention. But... I would agree. I would say that is a very fair assessment. The story but, itself, like you said, very solid murder mystery. As soon as I figured out that it was going to be a, like almost like a Agatha Christie kind of, I'm going to step into a room and I'm going to interview suspects. Like basically, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is a it's a structure that I am ex- very familiar with. And that was an intriguing part of the episode. Besides Adolf Caesar's character being a very intriguing specimen of a of a murder victim, you know, one one of the stories where the murder victim you you're like you kind of had it coming, 
you know, <laughs> as you watch them, as you watch the story, and I, it like kind of like the guy from Murder in the Orient Express, where you're like, yeah. I'm not sad you're dead. Nope. No. Well, I mean, he particularly. I've all. I mean, the guy from the Ori- Orient Express uh, now, whose name is escaping me. I just read it like two the weeks dead ago. Guy. Too. <laughs> the dead guy. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Paul. That's how he's known, Mister Body. Mister Body. <laughs> Mister Body. Um. Weird that she named all of the victims Mr. Body. <laughs> it was the same guy popping up. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny Scott mentions that he, he likes it, but he doesn't see why it was not, like, aside from some of the racial themes, that he doesn't see why Maybe it's nominated for Best Picture. The rest of the compar- it's funny because I feel that same way with, with a couple of the other films this year. So it could have just been a weak year. Um, I kind of agree that I think in a strong year, this probably doesn't get nominated, but I have no quorums not knowing what else came out this year that it gets nominated because of the acting, the acting so strong and the, the writing is, the writing is good enough that it kind of keeps you guessing to a point after so many flashbacks, you kind of start figuring out, well, it's gotta be somebody, it's gotta be one of like a handful of people. And the racial thing is just kind of a red herring. Well, Movies I that f- came out in 1984. Gremlins, Ghostbusters, The Terminator, 1984, Temple of Doom, The Karate Kid, Beverly Hills Cop. All right. The first five you talked about should have all just been nominated. nominated. <laughs> red Dawn, Search for Spock, The Natural, Neverending Story, Romancing the Stone, 16 Candles, Firestarter, Once Upon a Time in America, Revenge of the Nerds, Police Academy. What the heck, Academy? This is Spinal Tap, <laughs> Footloose, Conan the Destroyer, Splash, Children of the Corn, Ooh. The Bounty, which is the mutiny on the the other mutiny on the Bounty. The movie. one with Anthony Muppets Hopkins take, and Mel Gibson. Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they just got this wrong completely. I was surprised that Once Upon a Time in America didn't get nominated. That that's the one that you listed. Was like, oh come on, Academy, that's like up your alley. Realistically, that's the one that screams like Oscar, Oscar bait. But looking back on it, like you know, Ghostbusters, yeah, it's a sci-fi. Those very rarely. A Star Trek, A Search for Spock, okay, it's not Wrath of Khan. It's it's also it's also a franchise film at this point in the Academy's history. Hey, they nominated all three Godfathers. Yeah, I, that's true. I win. That's true. <laughs> the Godfather might. Might be your like, and they nominated all three Lord of the Rings. I was thinking further back though, because yeah. now the now they'll do it, but they they wouldn't. Yeah, I think then. Godfather was really Godfather the first was really one. the first to be like, here's a sequel yeah. that we're going to nominate. It's kind of a big deal. Godfather's coming up this year, actually. Is I it? Think yeah, okay. I think that's next episode. Actually, Ooh. actually. So anyway, um, I. I think you're right in some ways that this is actually a weak year because, like, we've all said, oh, we've all either seen or heard of Amadeus. Yeah. And the rest of the movies escape everyone. But I personally enjoyed most of the films this year. But that's maybe because they were all stacked up against each other. When I look at that list of (laughs) movies, most of them popcorn movies, like, obviously, Gremlins is not going to be nominated for Best Picture. Right. Ghostbusters is not. Something the academy is going, something the academy is going for. Karate Kid, the Karate Kid. Those are not the ter- even the Terminator, um, Temple of Doom. Um, you yeah. know, those are those are not Academy Award films. Those are pop culture films. There's something different, right? But, yeah, but those those and usually end up staying in the culture, 
the longest. Amadeus being the exception this year. Yeah. And I don't know why. I guess this movie's been done since and probably been been done better. Not this exact movie, the themes, and overall the story. Sure. Right. You bring up a few good men, which I had completely forgotten about. But, yeah, if you're going to – this is like a few good men, and I'm going to be honest. I'd rather pop in a few good men. Yeah, a few good men is great. It really is. Although can this you one, handle the truth, Tim? Can you I, handle the truth? I can. I can handle it. I don't know why people don't think that I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing about this film, in comparison to say a few good men, is that it does have a it does have a pretty quick and um, tangible sense of humor. Like there's a lot of like there's a like there's that running gag of the guy who's like, oh my jeep keeps flipping over. You know, I've only flipped over twice, sir. And he's like, <laughs> well, that's because he drives like a maniac. He does. Like, every time you see him, like, the guy just grabs on for dear life. I'm that's glad crazy. you picked that up on that, too. It's like every time I see Harold, uh, Howard Rollins, it's like he, 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 he grips the Jeep, and then he's always, like, dusting himself off. And if I watched that man straighten his uniform one more time when he got out of that Jeep. <laughs> All right, let's do some fun facts. Yay, fun facts. Fun fact time. As well as, no, that's not the right fun fact. <laughs> we'll come back to that later, yeah. hopefully, maybe. <laughs> Bill Clinton visited the set during principal photography. Clinton was very supportive of the film and assisted with providing the use of the Arkansas Army National Guard for a marching parade sequence, which the production, with its limited budget, could not finance the hiring of that many extras and background artists. Huh. Speaking of which, I felt like that ending was completely tonally jarring, and didn't, I felt like, ooh, deep, dark, you know, mystery, and then, ooh, marching band ending with really upbeat music, and I just, it, that, it, it really took me out of that last yeah, five minutes. A Passage to India did that as well. The end, you could almost the say ending. that was a theme this year. Yes, I yes. could. Yes. yes. The film music doesn't work this year. The film's music score was interpretive, impromptu music entirely improvised by Herbie Hancock, along with around a half a dozen other musicians, including um, the singer at the beginning. Patti LaBelle. Yeah, Patti LaBelle. Yeah, that was music was great. I'm surprised that music wasn't nominated yeah. in this film. Uh, I'm not only because the song, like I could see original song getting nominated, but I'm sorry. When you go from like what I would think of when I see Herbie Hancock to the wackadoo 80 synthesizer that would show up every once in a while, I was, I I got whiplash from the score of this movie. What era are we in? Also a theme this year. (laughs) Yes. Was half expecting it to show up in Amadeus. Oh my, where's the synth? Where's the Falco song? Yep. Ugh, it's terrible. Anyway, the movie's source stage production, A Soldier's Play, was inspired by and loosely based on Herman Melville's novella titled Billy Bud, 1962. Spoiler, they still don't get on the boat in Billy Bud. Billy Bud is not a story about a boat. Well, well, actually it kind of is. But ah, see, and they it. don't get on it. Whatever. Ever. Palmer, whatever. Palmer has a thing against Moby Dick, for those of you who don't know. I know. He tried, he tried 300 pages, no boat. That's not true. It does not take 300 pages for them to get on the boat. There, no one can. No one knows. No, one no knows. one's ever read it. That's not true either. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to Places in the Heart, directed by Robert Benton, written by Robert Benton, starring Sally Field, Lindsay Krauss, Ed Harris, John Malkovich, and Danny Glover. 
Nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Malkovich, Director, and Costumes, it won Best Actress for Sally Field in Original Screenplay. Sure I had I had actually heard of this one because my past one of my associate pastors used this as part of a sermon series, and oh. because I I was watching it going women. I know I've never seen this movie except for the last scene in the church, but I knew the characters, and it was because he had used it to, you know, especially since he used his first Corinthians at the end. So it was like I hadn't seen the movie except for the last scene, but I knew what the movie was about. Like that was that was all I had going into this movie. Okay. Because I really need to know. Hold on, let me tell you what the no, plot, let me tell no. I have very is. important question. Seeing as how Scott is in the South, is shot glasses of communal wine a thing? Yes, that we that, that's well. It's not even wine; it's grape juice. But yes, right. th- that, that I, I would hope so because we're giving it to kids. <laughs> no, but that that tray. Oh yeah, I've grown up with that that tray, and you just pass it around, and everyone takes their little plastic cup, and there's even little holders. Uh, in the pews that you put it in so that the ushers can go by after the service and collect them and wash them and use them again. Yeah, that's totally a thing. Like, I I saw that, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, they're just passing out the stuff? Oh, oh, there go shot glasses. How many times a weekend do you think somebody tips the tray? Uh, Well, that's the thing. This is obviously a Baptist church, because that's Mm -hmm. how, because, you know, in the Methodist church, we come up and, you know, you know, actually get the stuff from someone up front you're not you can't be trusted no not at all Uh, but in the baptist church uh communion is not a regular thing it's more of a special occasions kind of thing which was a big difference like when i was a method church and you do it like once a month so the you know you do it like easter you know you know christmas you know it's those kind of things so not a lot palmer because they don't do it a whole lot okay that makes sense well there you go All right, now I'm going to say what the plot is. Go ahead. Thank you. In 1935 rural Texas, recently whittled Edna Spaulding, Sally Field, struggles to... Widowed, not whittled. Okay. (laughs) Edna Spaulding struggles to survive with two small children, a farm to run, and very little money in the bank, not to mention a deadly tornado in the unwelcome presence of the Ku Klux Klan. Edna is aided by her beautician sister, Margaret, a blind boarder, Mr. Will, and the would-be thief, Mosey, who decides to stick around to teach Edna how to plant and harvest cotton. Lay Miz in Texas. It, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's it is, not. though. This he is a, steals the spoons, and she's like, no, I gave him those spoons. This is a Hallmark movie that had a slightly bigger budget with some better actors, but they tried to jam, like, everything you know about Texas in 1935 into into one movie in the span of less than two hours. I still liked it. I saw your review on Letterboxd, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Because I, did I actually. Not care for this movie. No I, I could tell. I could tell you didn't yeah, care for this movie. Because it deals with emotions. Well, and you see, dislike emotions. That's not true. You can't. Shut up, Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. How did you like it? I, you know what? It, it was just one of those things that I was enjoying the characters. I was enjoying the story. Was it a bit sentimental? I think, Tim, when you said something about being basically a Hallmark movie, absolutely. I would agree with that. The only difference is I can enjoy a good Hallmark movie every once in a while. And so it, it, I connected with the film. Um, I will admit the only part, which, once again, the theme of this episode, is going to be jarring endings. Uh, but up until that point... I was really connecting with it. I was really invested in the characters and seeing where they were going to go. So, sorry you didn't like it, but I I enjoyed it. I really did. 
I mean, that everybody can enjoy something different. That's fine. It just definitely was not my slice of pie at all. This movie is great. It just is. For a movie that I thought I was going to absolutely hate going into, Sally Field is wonderful. Yeah, but Sally Field is always wonderful. You can almost, like, remove that. Sh- Sally me a Field. Movie, Sally Field isn't Sally good. Field can play certain types of characters very well. Yes. And she's usually stuck playing those characters. This one, I think, is a little outside of her comfort zone. She's a little meek in this. Film. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, she won the Academy Award for this, and that's where you get the the clip of you like me, you really, you really like, like me. me. Yeah, that's yep, the that one was, thing I knew about this movie was, yep, like, that was, was her accepted speech. That was for this movie. I thought the tornado scene for a movie that obviously doesn't have a huge budget was done very well. I think Wizard of Oz did it better, but that's my personal they opinion. They had a bigger budget. Yeah, it, yeah, they 50, filmed in color back 50 then. Year, that was a bigger budget. Fifty years of inflation doesn't count. <laughs> John Malkovich is wonderful and very un John Malkovich. Yeah, he was tame. He was so tame. He was. I was like John Malkovich. Are although you gonna he's, yell? are you going to overact? <laughs> although he's blind and he's still cooking. That's true. Although I mean, really, he makes up for his John Malkov- Malkovichisms. It's a word now no. in the killing fields. It's like where he was so restrained in where he was so restrained in places of the heart. Yeah. He just let loose in the killing fields. Uh, Donald, um, not Donald. I keep Danny, having Danny, Danny Glover. Danny Glover. <laughs> Is that, uh, are they even related? I do not believe. No, no, no they are not. No. Okay. So Danny Glover, again, is really good. He was in. Color Purple last year mm-hmm. as a very different character. Same house? I was like... I it, don't believe so. It looks like the same house. It does, but I think all houses in Texas look the same. I can't confirm. Never been there. Well, that's good. Or is it bad? Uh, again, you have the Ku Klux Klan showing up because it takes place in the 30s, and again... Also they don't... a recurring theme. Yes. No, just kidding. And again, <laughs> they don't really do anything for the story. That's what I, That's what I mean, like... Like things happen, but they they just happen because they happen. If that makes sense. But I think that I think that I think that goes more towards the the movie kind of just depicting life around that time. Well, I thought the clan showed uh, what what I didn't. The one the, the demerit I'll give against that is th- the lack of resolution or follow up to that because it happens quite literally at the end of the movie. But I always thought that that was basically the cotton, uh, the guy who she sells cotton to, basically trying to get his revenge on Danny Glover's character for basically teaching her how to actually negotiate and get a good rate on cotton at, towards the end. It was like, how dare you kind of you know be uppity and like know what you're talking about? Yeah, I did like that scene, ma'am. I don't know if you've heard that we're in the middle of a depression. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Yes, yes, yes. I know. <laughs> yes. So, but it was funny because when I first started watching this movie, I I almost checked out at the beginning just because of the opening with her husband getting shot. That just comes out of it's it's a little ludicrous how it happens. That's what I'm talking about. Everything that happens in this movie is ludicrous, <laughs> like because none of it really ties together. It's things like, and I get that like life but just that's, happens, right? Thing. That's but that, life uh, finds life, a way. Yeah, no, that doesn't. To me, that doesn't work narratively in a film. There's like, there's, 
especially in a short amount of time. If you were talking, this was taking place over years and years and years and years of time, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's taking place over a season, and there's just, like, so much just jammed into this small stretch of time that it's like, wow, what a whirlwind. And I'm not talking about that tornado that just happened. <laughs> but I also think – but what it does fit into, which is overall – I guess it helps that my pastor, like, did a – sermon on this movie so it kind of helps but just the theme of great the really it comes down to the theme of grace and that we are all we need to treat each other with grace because we are all i mean the communion scene at the end is like we're all part of the one body and so we really need to watch how we treat each other kind of ties into the title of places in the heart how we should all have a place in each other's heart because we really should see each other as human beings and treat each other, which uh, where I'll say that theme breaks down is that it really doesn't get tied up at the end. And that's where the movie kind of falls a little bit flat. It's like you're going there, but then it's like, oh, runtime, cut it off. We need to we need to wrap this story up. And you never get that theme fully developed, even though I saw where they were trying to go with it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And but I, I think the biggest problem with the ending is the ghosts randomly taking communion. <laughs> I see. I, I think the point is that I don't think that communion scene actually is really happening. Okay, they're in heaven. Everyone died, and they're just having they communion to, they in heaven to go now. To church from there in heaven. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think it's like, meta. It's supposed to be metaphorical. It is a metaphorical scene, which it's unfortunately. A it's a metaphor. It just kind of comes out of nowhere based on where the story ended before that scene. Right. Okay. So this yeah. is this is my point for the overall thing. Yes, it's well acted and blah, blah, blah. So that's, that part is great. However, this movie won for best original screenplay, and all we say – all we've been saying about it is, wow, that really came out of nowhere. Wow, that really came out of nowhere. Yeah, but I'm not arguing that it should have won Best Original Screenplay. I'm not arguing that. I agree. When you told me, I didn't know it won that. And when you said that, I was like, really? It had that well, really? Well, I mean, let's look at this. Soldier Story, play. Adapted. Yep. Um, Amadeus, adapted. Adapted. Passage to India, adapted. So that's three Killing, out of the five. Killing Fields is also technically adapted. Oh, yeah, from a book. Mm-hmm. So this is the only one out of the five that has an original screenplay. That's right. Out of Well, out of the five Best Picture nominees. Right. But that doesn't mean that some of the other nominees weren't original. You know what I mean? So just because it, sometimes original writing doesn't win Best Picture. Uh, and I, and Black I understand. Clansman, Black Klansman is a great example of that. I And I understand that. But I'm just saying, while there are parts of this that I – that I like to point out as being a little ludicrous. I feel it works in the movie and just for the tone that they were going. But that doesn't mean I can't pick them out to just call attention to it. Because if you do that without any sort of surrounding the, with the movie, it's funny. Okay, Tim, I, I just I don't know how I feel about this, but I'm, I'm gonna, these words are actually going to come out of my mouth. I agree with Palmer. Oh my God, that's just wrong. See, no, no, I am the voice of the people. <laughs> oh, you're in the club now. You're part don't, of the people. Don't worry, I'll be out of the, I'll be out of the people in, in oh, a few shit. movies. So oh, oh yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's not how that works. <laughs> Palmer, give us some fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Jeannie James was cast as Possum Spaulding after the initially cast little girl couldn't stop crying when the cameras were rolling. 
the two girls were actually friends in their hometown of Navasato, Texas. Which was funny because... That's the best fun fact you have. Trust me, some of these movies, it was hard to find fun facts. I will say, throughout the entire movie, I was like, are they calling this girl Possum? Why would you do that? Apparently, that's her real name. That's even worse. Uh, Yes. One of numerous films, uh, collaborations of husband and wife, Ed Harris and Amy Madigan. Ed Harris, there's no reason to be in this movie. I mean, that's that's the only thing. It's great when Ed Harris is in a movie, so sure. Jessica Lane. Unless, of course, by the time that he, by the time we're recording this, he we find out he's a terrible person. Then boo, it bad Ed Harris. All right, continue. Jessica Lange turned down the lead role that won Sally Field her second Oscar. Wow, wow. Which I believe Jessica Lange might have actually been nominated for another movie in this season, in this year, but I forget. She sure was. She was. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Oh, okay. Oh no, that's Judy Davis. Never mind. I always get Jessica Lange and Judy Davis mixed up. I don't really. Know. I, yeah, I, I, mm. I don't no. know why they have similar shaped eyes. I don't know. What's the next movie? But the Killing Fields. Oh, good. I'm okay. glad we're going to happier. <laughs> okay, this was the movie that I unfortunately had to start at about eleven, eleven thirty last night. All Me right. too. That's oh my goodness! I watched it at a normal time. Can I get through my information now? No, no, no. Hey, it takes a lot of work to prep all of this stuff. Sure, it does. It does. That's a nice chart. It's all filled you, out. We just reuse the same chart. Yeah, but I still got to fill in all the information. <laughs> it's not like Roland Joffe directed every movie. Did he in the third column? Like, <laughs> fine, go ahead. Thank you. Directed by Roland Joffe. Written by Bruce Robinson. Uh, starring Sam Waterston, uh, Hang S. S. Gore, there you go, John Malkovich and Julian Sands, nominated for Picture, Best Actor for Sam Waterston, Director and Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Supporting Actor for Gore, Cinematography, and Editing. The plot revolves around a man named Sidney Shanberg, is a New York Times journalist covering the Civil War in Cambodia. Together with local journalist Dith Pran, they cover some of the tragedy and madness of the war. When the American forces leave, Dith Pran sends his family with them, but stays behind himself to help Shanberg cover the event. As an American, Shanberg won't have any trouble leaving the country, but the situation is different for Pran. He's a local, and Khmer Rouge are moving in. So this is basically Pol Pot's like, extermination that they're covering. This yes, is, this the is what... year zero. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, for me, this for me, Killing Fields kind of played like it almost played like a documentary for a long time. It was more, it was really interested in be like, here's the stuff, mm-hmm. you know. We're not so much interested in we're not so much interested in a narrative, so much as you seeing the terrible stuff that's happening in Cambodia, and then, and then from there, like once once we move into once we move into um, Pran going into the killing fields and things like that, it's like by that point, it's like you should really be caring about Pran right now. But it took so it didn't not that it took so long, but it it was so concerned with showing like mass devastation that it was it was a little harder to connect to Pran than it should have been. But no, it took that no, point. it really did take too long. It really mm-hmm. did yeah. because by the time it got to Pran in the killing fields, then the problem was. Ooh, I'm interested in this story, 
but it's also two in the morning and I'm ready to go to bed because it took so long to get there. And well, there whose was also- fault is that? Is that the fault of the movie or is that yes. your fault? It's a C, all of the above. Okay. Yeah, okay. But here's the deal. Like after it took so long to get to the evacuation uh, of Cambodia. Then there was the post-evacuation of like the U.S. embassy to when they finally get out of the French embassy. And then we have that huge stretch of watching Sydney go back to America. And there was a part where I was like, could we have cut the Sydney and America part? And once, the, once everyone ev- evacuates the French embassy, can we just follow, follow Pram from that point on? Because that's what I wanted to do because that was a story that really intrigued me. You know, mm-hmm. seeing the aftermath of the revolution. Because mm-hmm. I will be honest, this movie taught me a lot of things about Cambodia that I didn't know. Like, that was a gap in my knowledge. Mm. Well, here's the thing about cutting some of the rest of the movie. You're, as an American, you're not allowed to cut Sam Waterstern out of anything. Whatever he films, you have to put on screen because he's a national treasure, and you're not allowed to remove him from the screen unless he chooses to be so. I thought that was only if he's playing Jack McCoy. I'm sorry. Nope, it's just Sam Waterstern across the board. Before I I get into my actual review of this, I will say, at the beginning of the movie, Sam Waterstern is a different Sam Waterston than I'm used to. And it wasn't until like he's yelling inside the news office that I'm like, oh, there he is. I, I found you. Yep. Because <laughs> like, before he had like a Boston accent, and it was weird. Was that what he had? Well, he had an accent. Yeah. I was so, curious about that. I, I fully agree with Scott. This movie takes too long to get to where it wants you to care about characters, and by that time, you really don't. This movie could have either been, A, a documentary and probably been done better, or B, just follow him Pram. in the killing field. Yes. yes. I agree with Palmer. On, I'm saying that again. Stop mm-hmm. it, Scott. I so, agree with Palmer on this one. <laughs> so when when I talked to you over text the other day, Tim, about this movie, you kind of referenced a sh- uh, Schindler's List. Yep. And it... And it's fair to kind of compare the two because they're both atrocities and they're both movies about atrocities. And where I think Schindler's List does it better is it gives you a storyline to connect to. And this doesn't really do that. Mm -hmm. This goes more of look at the atrocities, look at the atrocities, now look at his story to get out of the killing fields. And I think that could be a really good story even if you have to fictionalize it a little bit more to make it more of a movie, but I think that is the that's the story this movie should have done. Yeah, I agree. It's just as I said when as when we started, it just this film was just a little too maybe realistic for its for its own good as a piece of like as a narrative work. Like there's it's cohesive and then it moves from one bit to the next bit to the next bit, and there's not a lot going on. But it's it's far more interested in saying like. This is Cambodia. Do something, you lazy couch potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's weird, though, because the entire time I was watching this movie, I was thinking in my head about another movie that I saw like 20 years ago that I feel like dealt with the same topic but did it a little bit more succinctly. It was the Jack Lemmon film Missing, which actually came out two years prior to this movie. And I I have not seen that. Uh, Jack Lemmon and, and Sissy Spacek play parents that, who go into Chile post uh, a revolution looking for their missing son. 
and very much has a vibe or a tone similar to this movie, but got to the story, got to the characters. I felt like uh, much more succinctly. And so like in my, in my head, I'm like, wow, this kind of reminds me of missing. And I liked missing better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you would find that with a lot of movies that kind of deal with this kind of subject that it's been done a lot better. And that's not to say that this movie doesn't, doesn't make the, doesn't correctly make the point it wants you to get, which is the atrocities happening in Cambodia or that, you know, that had happened and were still happening at the time. But it just doesn't do it well enough outside of that. Like, yeah, we should do something. But the movie overall is just not good. I wouldn't say that it's not good. I would just say that it's it's kind of torn between two different types of narrative. And, it's ha- and it has a really hard time choosing what it wants to do. Well, I feel like it, because it's trying to say, here's something that historically happened. And by the way, shame on us because we kind of helped make it happen. Right. The, the historical aspect. But then you get to the end of the movie, which, you know, with the little with the little cue cards at the end reminding you that – at least in 1984, Cambodia is still an awful place. And so it feels like it says, here's this terrible thing that happened. Shame on you. Oh, by the way, call to action at the end. Let's go do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, and that's fine, but it's definitely, if you're looking at this, this year of Academy Awards as like the weak year, this is like a, like a viscerally upsetting movie yes it is the con the the content makes it get nominated like oh this is important because it showed us something yeah yeah but as a film as just a film it's fine although it is yes it it is shot very well it's great you know it looks great it's acted well but it's just just missing a thing that makes it a story that kind of makes it something more so anyway give me some fun facts in real life, Gore's wife died under the rogue regime, hemorrhaging during childbirth. The baby also died. She knew that she couldn't contact her husband as doctors were all being murdered by the regime. So by her keeping silence and dying of internal bleeding, she effectively saved his life. Wow. Wow. Gore That's not really had... a fun fact, but well, it's a fact. Well, I mean, this movie, can there really be fun facts? Gore had to flee the set after reenacting the harrowing scene where he is faced down by a female teenage soldier as it invoked too many horrific memories of his time spent living under the rogue regime. I think it's Rouge. Rouge. Yeah, okay. The year the film was released, Time Magazine's cultural highs and lows of the year had as the lowest point David Putnam's decision to use John Lennon's Imagine in the Killing Fields. Yeah, that was weird. Because that, that was, was weird. so out of place. Yes. Yeah. That was not the, good. The reuniting at the end over over imagined by John Lennon. Like I get, I get what he thought. Imagine like, for today. Boop, boop. Yeah, like imagine a better world. But no, like I can't watch fourteen hours of atrocity and then hear John Legend's Imagine at the end. That needle so. drop was one of those jarring musical choices where, as we said, theme of the year is awkward musical choices at the end of films. 
Yep. I mean, what actually struck me more, I was like, ah, oh, the age when you could afford to put a Beatles song in a movie. That's what actually, that's what hit me more than anything well, else. Well, uh, you can do that now. They just did an entire movie with it. No, they did, a, they did a movie of it where a guy performed Beatles songs, which costs different than putting an original Beatles song in a film. Those are two different also, things. Also, it's John Lennon, not Beatles. Imagine is just John Lennon. Yeah, when, I, when we just say that, we say... No. The Beatles. No, no. no one says the Beatles saying Here Comes the Sun. It's the Black Album. It's That was a reference to Boyhood. It was. Remember. Yes. Great. Haven't seen it. Good. No, you're missing Scott, you're missing out. Don't listen to Palmer. What's next? What's next, you ask, is a passage to India, directed by David Lean, his last film. The great David Lean's because he was film. murdered on the Orient Express. He was not, um, but maybe he was. No, <laughs> he was not. Uh, he took a 14-year hiatus and then came back out of kind of retirement to make the passage to, a passage to India, and then promptly died on the Orient Express afterward. <laughs> uh, written by David Lean, based on the book by E.M. Forrester, and then the play by Santa Rama Rao, starring Judy Davis, Victor Banji, Banerjee. Peggy Ashcroft, James Fox, and Alec Guinness. Nominated for Best Picture, Actress for Davis, Director, Cinematography, Art Direction, Costumes, and Sound uh, sound, and Editing. It won Best Supporting Actress for Ashcroft and Music for Maurice Jarry. The plot of the story is a, is a cultural mistrust and false accusations doom a friendship in British colonial India between an Indian doctor and an English woman engaged to marry a city magistrate and an English educator. The more simple version of that is um, a a nice uh, nice English a nice English woman goes over to India because she's going to marry her fiance and is searching for adventure. And one thing leads to another, and she befriends she befriends this Indian doctor, and then she accuses him of raping her inside a cave. Uh, to which maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And then, because I want to leave it open for the people to watch the movie, and then... Uh, and he that's... didn't. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I do, however, want to read the book, because th- th- this is one of those movies that go, okay, I want to read the book because I want to know how the book handles th- this story, this plot, these characters, as opposed to what this adaptation did. Well, it's so funny that you say that, because I'm so- I texted... This to both of you, actually. I'm sitting here. I'm like, wow, what a delightfully anti-racist movie this is. And then all of a sudden, Alec Guinness shows up as in an Indian, Indian man. Yeah, yeah, an Indian face. That's terrible. Um, yes, I know. Putting him in this was yeah, terrible. That was that was something else. I sent it to I sent it to a few friends uh, besides you guys, and and someone's response was, "Well, Ben Kingsley." Like Ben Kingsley won for Gandhi, yeah. and I was like, "But Ben Kingsley is Indian. He's part Indian. His father was Indian. Like, so that does not count. That's actual. That's okay. This is just terrible. Yeah. The worst part about it is that he's good. <laughs> I think that's why I, it didn't bother me too terribly much, especially since you told. I, I know send your hate mail elsewhere, not here. And I, you know, it was like, wow, but Al, it's Alec Guinness, and he's still good at what he does. He was just—he's still good at what he does. His accent wavered, but sometimes that's okay. That's actually better. <laughs> well, I know neither of you seem to like this film based on what you had 
No, no, don't, don't, don't say that. Don't, yeah, don't. no, no. I mean, no. I hated it, but Palmer, yeah. hate, Palmer hated it because I was did not. About okay, love. I did not, not hate it. Out. I just felt like by the time the once we get to the cave part, and then she runs down the hill, and then she, then suddenly the whole attempted rape accusation came up. Mm-hmm. That's when I went, what? Like suddenly the movie became something else, no, and that like, was. And that was the hardest part for me watching this movie was I was chugging along with it. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the fact that it wasn't a caricature of India, that it was actually kind of looking at the British going, yeah, bad move, poor form. But then the attempted rape plot seemed to come out of nowhere for me. And then the movie kind of – that's where the movie started to lose me at the end. So that's funny that you say that because I knew that was part of the plot of the movie so I was kind of like waiting for it to show up like that was kind of the that was kind of a turning point in the film and knowing that it's coming there are hints of it throughout the film like like straight on straight on throughout the film like Mrs. Moore is afraid to enter the is afraid to enter the mosque you know because she feels she's going to get attacked and so there's that bit of tension or if you don't know and then every time um what's her name Judy Davis goes off what was Adeline her name? Adeline goes off in the film there's always this like she goes exploring like these ruins and then there's like these faces watching her and then the, maybe the monkeys come for her and like all this different stuff where she always kind of feels like she's when she goes off alone she's kind of always under threat in some way and, where and, she and feels then even... like she's under threat or, or specifically the the ruins where you get sort of a Kama Sutra esque, you know, sensuality of the sculptures, and then almost exactly. the monkeys are there to warn her away, as if you're doing a bad thing here. How dare you, you know, feel this way or think these thoughts? And the monkeys kind of push her back because when she leaves there, she goes back to accept the uh, pr- the uh, proposal from her intended i guess i'll put it so it's almost like the monkey scared her back into being a proper british lady and don't think about the sensuality and the exoticness of the india around her yep exactly exactly so if you then know that the assault is coming it doesn't it flows into the movie very it flows into the movie very well because it it sets it up for you ahead of time but i'm not sure if Maybe it's not. Maybe because I knew it, it was clearer to me. You know, so I'm not sure. Palmer, what I, do you think? This movie's just bad. Explain. It bad it gets nominated because David things. leans a name. I don't think so. And I while I, I disagree, while I, disagree. I think no, 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 while I think it should get nominated for maybe for maybe um, costumes, costumes or production design. Overall, the acting is fine. It's not great. The story... I, I disagree. I think ba- yeah. I think Bancroft is excellent. I think Mrs. Moore is... The story is too long and kind of unwieldy at times. Well, as, as you and I have said before, David Lean does not make, quote, lean films. Yes. I was... Oh, I was waiting for yes. that. I was like, it has to be coming. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, they even run out of money in the budget for monkeys towards the end when they just have people start dressing up as monkeys. 
I have no idea what you're talking about. He's talking about the guy who, like, jumps on uh, Adeline's carriage on her way to the trial. That's And he gets beaten by the police. That's what he's talking about. That's, wow, that's a weird way to... <laughs> he's dressed as a monkey. He really is, but I, I but I understood what it was about. It was, it was sort of the sort of like the free India movement, you know. Yeah, that was that's prompted especially by that Calcuttan lawyer they end up hiring. Yeah, that he, he was. This trial is a farce. A farce. Ah, Mrs. Moore, Mrs. Mrs. Moore. Moore. Well, that wasn't even the lawyer. That was like the friend who was like a clerk or something. That they made such a big deal about the attorney, and it was the two friends who ended up making the bigger stink. This trial is a farce. Anyway, um, so Palmer, continue. Then you have so now so we're talking about the trial where you have the judge coming out in a scene the second day of the trial, and he's like, "This is we're going to conduct order. We're not going to have all this stuff that we had yesterday. That, by the way, you didn't see. <laughs> I did think that after you know. Well, that's where they cut it. That's where some of the well, they could have cut other things." Like, that trial seemed to be the the linchpin of this movie, and it doesn't take up any amount of time in this 48-hour runtime. I think because you're supposed to... Lean really wants you to feel the real India, not your conception of India, right? He want, Or, like, the British colonial India or anything like that. He wants you to kind of, like, be in what is real, and so you have to spend enough time like in all aspects of of the country and i so i think if it if she's there for a half an hour and then she then she's assaulted it i don't get enough i don't get enough flavor of the country or she's the also, culture you keep saying that she's not assaulted she's well she thinks she's assaulted you know what i mean i'm calling it that for you know but she doesn't she doesn't think it cuz she says at the end she just made it up no, I think no. what happened is that the K – what I – this is the part where I really want to go back and read the book. And mm-hmm. so I will take it as a knock against the movie that I don't feel like the movie uh, translated this part very clearly or well for a for an audience is – my interpretation is that apparently as set up by Mrs. Moore, the caves and the echo just kind of drive you – Nuts, plus sort of Adeline's kind of building sexual tension throughout the film. And frustration. I wouldn't even call it tension, but like an actual frustration. Okay, I I will concede that point. Mm -hmm. But then the the building sexual frustration, plus she just had some physical contact with the doctor leading up to it and had some, you know, inappropriate conversation for the time. And then the cave kind of driving her a little nuts for a reason that was very unclear to me, which is where I feel like I needed more from the film to fill that in, then drives her to feel like an experience happened that didn't happen. But because she also disappears from the film at that point when because of her upsetness, I don't feel like we ever really got to understand where was she coming from up until she gets on the stand. And that's the part where the movie really kind of suffers because I really lose what's happening with Adeline at that point. And that's where the movie started to lose me. Lean um, told Davis when he was trying to convince her to do this movie that the scene in the, the, scene in the caves 
she essentially gets frightened of her kind of burgeoning sexuality. And that was kind of the catalyst for everything. That's the catalyst for her, what her experience is in the caves. That being said, I probably, I, I wouldn't read this book, but I would probably be willing to sit for the play because I think the play, given the fact that you can only do so much on a stage, will take out a lot of leans. Leanisms? Ext- yeah, extemporaneous extracurricular visuals that aren't needed. visuals is my new favorite term. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think if you confine this to only scenes in a play, I think you get a completely different story, and that might be a little bit more cohesive. Hmm. We're going to come back to that when we talk about Amadeus as well. I would like your opinion on that. Okay. I... I don't know. I... I disagree. I will agree with I will agree with Scott that the film is not clear about her um about her incident or non-incident in the cave. Uh because the way that it's edited it's like it's a it's a hard it's a hard cut to the ele- so to the elephant in the pool like the water trickles down and then like the rock falls and so it it feels like the film like wants you to be like oh you know, here's some here's a smash cut that or a match cut, so you like feel that like something's happened. You know, somebody's connected with something, or like the water running out of the pool is supposed to be like the blood spilling out of her body, or like something like that. You know what I mean? Like, but the film doesn't really do anything with that, and so it's just a it's just a weird cut. Um, so I will say that's true. I I liked this more than. I liked this more than Dr. Zhivago, if we were looking at David Lean films. I liked oh, yeah, it more no, than Dr. Zhivago, um, but I didn't like it as much as River Kwai. Uh, yes, uh, I would agree, absolutely. And considering that I've never seen Lawrence of Arabia, shocking confession on this podcast, uh, I've only got Zhivago, Kwai, well, in this movie to, to work with. Well, we know what your next episode's going to be. <laughs> uh, I think that's two seasons from now yeah. was nominated in... 83 I think. As far as Not, as far as the lean films that we've seen so far, uh, River Kwai and Zhivago and this, this is a distant third. Like this is so far in the distant third. It would be it would be like Superman the movie um box office take looking at Titanic. That's how in the distant it is. Have you? Why are you grabbing a large book? Why aren't you grabbing a large book? Is my question. Because I don't have books on my side. I mean, yes, you do. There's literally a book, not five inches from your elbow. It was a winner for a Pulitzer Prize too. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, there's only good books in this house, Palmer. I think you should know that. Well, I'm grabbing a chess piece because I want to grab something too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Checkmate. Four twenty-five. Now I'm holding a, in my hand. I'm holding a book called "Conversations with the Great Movie Makers of Hollywood's Golden Age" uh, at the American Film Institute. So it's basically a bunch of interviews done uh, done by George Stevens Jr., who is the um, son of director George Stevens of David Senior. Copperfield. Yes, um, and so, uh, Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, yep. yes, exactly. So um, so it's just a series of conversations with actors, directors, screenwriters, things like that. But David Lean is in this film. So, uh, I mean, David Lean is in this book. I was just checking to see what else 
checking to see what else. Yep, Lawrence of Arabia was 62. So we haven't done that. Dr. Chivago, Ryan's daughter. Ryan's did daughter was the last one he did before his hiatus. Did we do Great Expectations? Not this one. Not this not, not David yeah. Lean's. Okay, that's all, that's all I was checking. Okay. Very yeah. good. I have Very a fun good. fact after Palmer does his fun facts. Okay, fun fact time. Fun okay, fact time. fun fact. Sir Aleganus spent several weeks learning an intricate Hindu dance for a scene that ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Oh, so he did cut stuff out of the movie. Oh, he did. Uh, let's see. The first Sir David Lean movie not made in ultra-widescreen process since summertime 1955, and only the second one to premiere in the age of multiplex cinemas, Ryan's Daughter being the first. Bridge on the River Kwai was made in Cinemascope, Lawrence of Arabia in Super Panavision 70, and Dr. Zhivago in Panavision. Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago were shown in 70 millimeter in their world premiere, and all three movies had aspect ratios wider than that of this movie. Hmm. I would love to see Lawrence of Arabia in 70 millimeter yes. on a big screen. As well as several cast members, Sir David Lean steadily alienated most of his heads of department and their crew during production. The situation on set deteriorated to such an extent that producer John Braborn had to order the camera crew to at least say good morning to Lean each day. This movie also killed his friendship with um, Alec oh, goodness. because yeah. he felt uh, Alec felt that he cut much too much of his scenes. Well, Alec Guinness was a little. Alec Guinness himself was a little full of himself. Well, so. when you're Obi Wan, you can be. Yeah, he was full of himself before that, yeah. too. <laughs> but that's um, okay. Those weren't super fun facts, but well, they were, my, they I have they my were. fun fact. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I said they were they weren't fun in the way that like, wow, that's so fun. What an interesting <laughs> fact. It was more like, oh, the sadness. All right, the sadness. Go for yours. My fun fact, if David Lean had not died, his next production was going to be Empire of the Sun, which, of course, was taken over by Steven that's Spielberg. Spielberg. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Starring a young Christian Bale. Do you think David Lean would have cast Christian Bale or would he just have cast? I think the movie would have been The bad. ghost of Alec Guinness. <laughs> you think the movie would have been bad? No, the movie would probably have been fine. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't like this one, but that doesn't mean you, yeah, can't, you can't like the other ones. So last film on the docket today is Your Friend and My Friend, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, starring in Amadeus, directed by Milos Forman, written by Paul Schaefer from his stage play. And here are my fun facts right away about the stage play. It was originally, st it's originally opened in the West End, starring Paul Schofield as Salieri, which is pretty great. We love Paul Schofield. We do. On this. We love Paul Schofield on this. We love anybody that was in The Crucible. That's true. Um, Simon Callow, who is in this film, was Mozart in the, on the West End. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Foreman wouldn't allow him to be in the film. He was like, you are wonderful, but no. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tim Curry also played Mozart along Tim, with Mark Hamill. N yes, but at different times. Um, and yes, Ian McKellen, I believe, was Salieri yeah. in another production. Yeah, so Schofield didn't want to do it on Broadway. So Ian McKellen played played Salieri on Broadway with Tim Curry as Mozart and then um, um, Ian McKellen was replaced by Frank Langella who played Salieri and then Mark and Hamill Skeletor. and Skeletor <laughs> and Perry White yep, and Nixon yep, and um, 
and so and then Mark Hamill played Mozart um, on on Broadway for a long time, but Foreman wouldn't allow him to wouldn't allow him to audition for the movie because he was like, no, people will think Luke Skywalker is Mozart. You can't be in this movie. And so I think Kenneth Branagh and Mel Gibson also auditioned mm-hmm. and uh, none of that worked out. And, anyway. and another fun fact for the play. I have been in this play. Oh, you were in Amadeus? Who yes. You? I was ensemble. My mate, you know, one of those where you're lots of the little characters to show up. My sure. main my main role was I was Salieri's valet. I was responsible oh, for making at the beginning. Yeah. Yes, right? exactly. Which so talking about the play, completely different structure for the play. But I remember my big job was to make sure that by the end of the play, the straight razor was in his pocket. That was my job. That's kind of important. Kind of important. Is it, though? Yes, it is. It's yes, it is. Actually, the whole thing is kind of structured on him and talk God about and being angry at God and then being so angry then at himself that he decides to take his own life. Yeah, and then also remember the one performance where the knife didn't make it into the robe. That will tell you how important it is that that happens. So in the play, he's not having a conversation with the priest? No, in the, in the play, he's having a confession, but it's to the audience. The okay. priest, the in the adaptation for the film, the priest is a proxy for the stage audience, and they just move his suicide attempt up to the, to the beginning. Well, no, it, well, yeah, they moved his suicide attempt to the beginning instead of it being kind of like the climax of the play at the end. Okay, now it makes sense as to why the the straight razor being in the pocket by the end was important. Cool, cool, cool. All right, I'm going to continue. Uh, Amadeus, starring F. Murray Abraham, Tom Holtz, Elizabeth Burridge, Christine Ebersol, Simon Callow, and Jeffrey Jones, and a lot of other people. Kenny yeah. Baker yes. is in this movie. Everyone's yes. in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the Georgia, the the Georgia congressman from 1776 is in this movie. Yes, he is. Yes, he I is. texted that to Frank. Actually, Frank of Beer with Geeks and Supergirl TV Talk. Um, I knew you guys would see it, so I didn't. No, wanna... you texted me. Oh, did I send it to you as well? Yeah. Oh, well, way to respond to me. What kind of friend are you? I probably did. No, I don't think you actually did, because it was only this morning, and then you came over. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, this movie was nominated for Best Actor for Holt's Cinematography and Editing. It won Best Picture, Actor for F. Murray Abraham, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Costumes, Sound, and Makeup. Um, the plot of the film uh, star- is the life, success, and troubles of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, as told by his rival Antonio Salieri. His con- contemporary, I guess, in his contemporary. Mozart in doesn't have any contemporaries. His contemporary in Vienna. And it is about Salieri's uh, rivalry and rivalry and attempted takedown of Mozart without Mozart even really realizing it. Right. It's a, it's a very one sided rivalry. It's so one sided. So one sided. Um, because Salieri is not that good. Though, ironically, People now know the name Salieri because of this film. Yeah, but they well, don't know his music. No, they well, don't. And they but they, know they the don't. And historically, actually, his music wasn't that bad. Like, no, it, it's it's good. Even in the film, they kind of downplay it in the film. But Salieri, like, he didn't become the he didn't come the Austrian emperor's musician for nothing. Like, he no, had I'm to, sure he got paid. He, he, yes, oh, good point. But no, like, obviously, he was good. You know, so he just it's hard to be like I don't know, it's. I'm trying to think of a. Well, it's hard to be good. I mean, you can be good 
But when you're next to Mozart, good ain't gonna cut it. It's kind of like being. It's kind of like where are the monkeys. Oh no, but where are the Beatles? You know, like that's. <laughs> there was a period of time where the monkeys were actually more popular than the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a time when, but see, but also in this, there's a time where people loved Salieri's music, but Mozart kind of, but Mozart continued on. You know, Don Giovanni didn't do so well. Um, what was the other one? Marriage of Figaro. Figaro, yes. Yeah, it only had so many performances. You know, Magic it's Flute. A, it's almost like if Mozart is Mozart's like the artsy Best Picture winner, and Salieri is and and Salieri is the movie that made the most money at the box office, but he doesn't have the esteem. You know, if that makes if that makes if that makes sense. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. Stop. Yeah. It. Yeah, it makes perfect Titanic sense. made Palmer, tons of money at the box office and has the esteem. That can't be your reference to everything because we Avatar. have literally decades, decades of movies where that's not the case. Do we, though? Why do I do the show with you, Scott? Do you want to be the new host of Academy Rewind? <laughs> Absolutely. Why me not? Me and Scott? Okay. No. <laughs> no. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. Can take, take your goddamn EpiPen and get out. Um, anyway. Um, Amadeus is a fantastic movie and deserves many of deserves many of its accolades. Um, I don't think did Palmer you guys all this? I no, I don't think he does either. Did you guys? It's interesting uh, note here that if you guys watch it digitally, the only option you can watch now is the director's cut, which is twenty minutes longer. That is what I watched, and I was wondering, did you watch the director's cut or no? Me? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because that's that's the only you can own. Like I, I watched it on my iTunes account, and the only thing you can purchase digitally now is the director's cut. Yeah, and and the and not the theatrical cut. But it's one of those things that I've, I've watched the movie for so long, I know what the additions are. Oh, can you tell me what the additions are then? Because I've I've seen both, but I only own the I only own the director's cut, so I couldn't remember what was new and what wasn't. It's almost entirely in the first half of the film, but it's mainly there. There's more like Katrina's dressing room after the Turkish opera. Yep. The whole thing with uh, Costanza uh, basically having a Me Too moment with Salieri, which is in the play, but was cut from the film because that's actually why the movie goes from being a PG movie to an R rated movie between the theatrical and the director's cut. Uh. It's because of the topless scene. That's the only sexy 80s thing in this whole lineup. Exactly. And then there's some other little scenes between, uh, like, the whole Mozart going to give the piano lesson with the dogs running around. Like, the conversation leading up to that. Because in the theatrical version, you just see him walking down the street with a bottle of champagne and leading into his father showing up. But you never saw where the bottle came from. So, like, that sort of slice right there is most of where the 20 minutes is. Hmm. Oh, well, there you go. So, you say when uh, Costanza has a Me Too moment in Salieri's Salieri's room, she was the one pretty much coming on to him. No, 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 no. no. He told her you... He told her to come back. To come back, and that's the price for Wolfgang being a Princess Elizabeth's teacher. He sets that up okay. because it's one of the it, it, it adds to the theme of Salieri wants everything that is Mozart's. Yes. Right, but he but because Salieri has 
early in his life prayed to God and said, I am, I will be chased. I will be this. I will be this. He really does it to set her. He does it to set her up to diminish her. Okay. Yeah. That, that scene makes a little bit more sense now. Yeah. No, she doesn't, she doesn't come back and she's like, oh, Mr. Salieri, Mr. F. Murray Abraham, they just think you're so cute. Uh, no, I, cause I had missed the bit earlier than that. I was either, I got distracted or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was because she obviously knew about the dalliance of Mozart with the other actress. Oh, no. And this was kind of her way to kind of pay back, mm-hmm. even though she still loved Mozart. It was. No, she's actually, but... I think, rather ignorant of Katrina. Okay. Yeah. And she, and... Yeah, she's rather ignorant of most of his lifestyle until she gets until they're married and then you know like and then married with kids and then whatever else and then you know like then she really sees because then they're living together Mm. um so but she is also not exactly like you know little miss homespinner herself you know what i mean because like when we first meet her he's chasing her around he's chasing her around on all fours and pulling her on the floor and all that so she like she likes that side of him, but as she grows up, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. And then, and then she leaves him, obviously. Uh, yeah. For um, like a day. F- full disclosure, if it hasn't been obvious since the beginning, I adore this movie. I have seen this movie an, an, an innumerable amount of times since I remember it used to come on like Saturday afternoons on syndicated television as like mm-hmm. the Saturday afternoon movie. I, I've I've watched this movie a lot. My my parents love it. It was one of those that when Palmer gave me crap about the fact that you know you're not going to be able to finish this movie before we start recording. <laughs> I was like, I don't need to. <laughs> I can do this. Is the one part of the podcast that I could do this strictly from memory. Yeah, I could have done Amadeus from memory myself. Um, we used to, whether it was on TV, it was one of my mom's favorites. My sister is an opera singer. You know, like there's a there's a bunch that goes into that is a bunch that like stems from Amadeus in the in the house when I was a kid. So uh this is like structurally acting, production, any any aspects of the mise en scène of this film is it's it's perfect. It's it's it is a it is a near perfect film. I would personally prefer the non director's cut because the director's cut, like three hours is it's it's much. I can get this film down to like two and a half hours easy. Yeah. That, well, it well it was it that's was what it, that's, it was. No, but I can I can do that and keep the director's cut stuff. Or you could just keep just take the director's cut stuff. No, because from what I understand, I actually like the additions. So what would you take out? The ten to fifteen minutes at a whack of the operas. It's nice. It's pretty. I like the music. I get the symbolism of it, but it just doesn't need to be there. Um, I understand that, but I would I would strongly disagree that you don't get the sense or importance of Mozart without seeing without seeing it in action. And so, like, if you don't watch Don Giovanni right after his father's death then you don't understand the significance of Don Giovanni, even though they tell you. I think you still need to hear it in the music because they want you to hear it and feel it like Salieri does. Because Salieri is technically your hero character because Mozart is not likable. Like, you know what I mean? He is not. Like, he is and he isn't because like, he's like a funny, 
he's a funny ass hat, but he is not. He's, I mean, no one, none of them are really great. He's people. an imp. He's an imp. He's an he, imp. He, yeah, he, that's a good. He's an, He's mm-hmm. he's an impish character. He's supposed to be a foil for Salieri because remember this is Salieri's story because Salieri's the one telling us the story. That's right. So his version of Mozart could be slightly heightened from like if if it's if he's narrating the story, his version of Mozart is a slightly heightened or hyper real version of Mozart. So oh, like yeah. he's like Keith Richards rock star version of Mozart in this, but maybe he was slightly. He's less. like he's like um, William Shakespeare in. Oh, uh, what? It's, um, not dirty, rotten scoundrels. No, um, something rotten. Yeah, yeah. He's exactly he's like, like yeah, that. Yeah, he's like yeah. He's exactly like that. But yeah. Palmer, I understand where you're coming from, and actually, Tim, when you brought up Don Giovanni, I feel like Don Giovanni is like the one perfect example of the opera that I feel like structurally you do need to see because you need the scene with the commandant at the end of the opera. Um, but some of the other ones, I un- while I don't want them to go, I understand Palmer's point. Yeah, you might not need the five minutes of the magic flute, but but maybe I think of it more as someone might stumble upon Mo- someone might stumble upon Amadeus and have never seen an opera in their life, and so now here's a chance to kind of get a smattering of Mozart's work. But you're not, I mean, you're getting a smattering of the work, but you're not getting a smattering of the opera, seeing as how they, the opera is also in English. Some of them. Except the Italian ones. Some of them, yeah. I feel like a lot of times, like with the ones that are in German, you tend to hear it, you tend to hear the lyrics in English. Yes, that was, that was, um, that was a thing done to kind of show like anything that was German was in English. Was in English because he told his actors he didn't want them to try and do accents. He wanted them to concentrate on the characters. So for all intents and purposes, German is English, and then anything not in German was done in with accents in other languages. Language. So like Italian, the Italian operas are done in Italian. Uh, Simon Callow has a little bit of an accent. So that's that's why you, I thought the same thing, and it wasn't until it probably wasn't until Don Giovanni that I was like, "All right, this Giovanni. is clearly, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah." No, I I was wondering what the purpose of that was. It makes total sense now because I I had the closed captioning on when I was watching it, and I didn't even realize they were singing in English until I was reading until I could read the lyrics, but um. You're not totally up on this film, and I, w- I would like to know why, Palmer. It's it's good. I just think there's, a again, there's just a lot of stuff that I could have done without in the film. Apart from, like, taking out some of the, some of the opera scenes. I mean, then it's, then it's fine. I don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly so interesting that I couldn't have done without knowing this story. Okay. At the same time, the music's really good. The acting is good. Production in that is is really good, but it's just not. It's just not my kind of movie. Like it's yeah. just for me, it's good. It's not great. Mm-hmm. See, I can understand this because I showed this. My wife had never seen this movie, and I showed it to her like two months ago. I think she had a kind of a reaction similar to Palmer. 
uh, on my flip side, it was really interesting. I remember I had a teacher in high school who showed this in a Western culture class. And one of the things he focused on was the theme of this movie. It, it, one, one of the themes you could distill from this movie is the idea of, I like to joke, the, the difference between the high achiever and the gifted student. The one who, it, who has to bust his butt for everything that he gets. And then the one who doesn't have to work hard at it and it just naturally comes. And just sort of the animosity that that can generate. Especially when you have Salieri seeing it as his personal war with God. And Mozart is the collateral damage in that war. That's right. Well, yeah. Salieri is a little tapped. He has a little too many sweets. <laughs> it's okay. He's dead. He doesn't know. So do you think? I'm pretty sure. Actually, you know what? I'm a hundred percent sure that Salieri <laughs> is not alive anymore. That's it. Up, uh, Palmer. Give me some fun facts. These are probably the funnest facts, and that's because I sent them to you. Nope, I didn't take any of those. So that's horrible. Thought. I didn't even look at it. That's so mean. I'm going to read all. I of was them driving. <laughs> so. In an interview on The One Show in 2006, in 2013, Andrew Lloyd Webber said he was offered the role of Mozart but turned it down. To me, this is this makes it a better movie. I want to see Andrew Lloyd Webber as Mozart. Okay. The Emperor tells of the young Mozart proposing marriage to his sister Antoinette. This was Marie Antoinette who went to the guillotine during the French Revolution. That's yes, correct. because that that's been that explains a whole bunch of the anti-French sentiment you get throughout this film. That's yep. right. Well, that's why they didn't want the marriage of Figaro being performed in the first place. Right, because right, it's all about servants showing up their masters. Mm -hmm. The Don Giovanni scene was being shot in part on the 4th of July. During one take, upon Milos Forman's call of action, a large American flag unfurled from the ceiling. 500 extras stood up from their seats and began to sing the Star-Spangled Banner. The only extras that did not stand up were about 30 people scattered throughout the theater. At first thought to be normal people, but it was deduced that these 30 were members of the Czechoslovakian secret police. That's great. I guess they were watched at all times while right, filming. Right, because Milos Forman, who was originally uh, Czechoslovakian, defected to America. Mm -hmm. um, and he was pretty much told he could only go from his hotel to the set back and forth while they were there. Wow. Because they were worried about him trying to spread uh, anti-communist sentiment. Wow, that's crazy. And lastly, Baron Van Sweten, played by Jonathan Moore, has a Dracula connection. He was the son of Gerard Van Sweten, appointed by Empress Maria Theresia to squelch a vampire hysteria sweeping Austria society and especially the armed forces. As the imperial vampire hunter, the elder son, Van Sweten, was Bram Stoker's inspiration for the character Abraham Van Helsing in Dracula. That's pretty cool. Imperial That's awesome. Imperial Vampire Hunter is definitely the best job anybody can ever have. With a there's, title. Especially since there are no vampires, yes. That's right. Yeah. There's the novel I want to read. Yeah, well, There's really nothing to show for your work, though, so can you hold on to your employment? Well, yeah. Whenever yeah. you stab them with a cross, they become dust. You just pick up some sand. Mm, Do you point. see any vampires? I'm doing I'm, my job is my job is being I'm very successful at my job. This rock keeps bears away. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I have I have more fun facts since you didn't look at my fun list, and some of them are quite interesting. Says so you. They are. The movie was shot without the use of light bulbs or other modern lighting devices. Yeah, I knew that. No, you I didn't. knew that. I did. It was part of IMDb's thing. I just you just didn't, you it was either that or Dracula. I made the right choice. Potentially, I think that's true. Um, they the original theater where they shot Don Giovanni, uh, where the theater where they shot Don Giovanni and all the shows is also where Don Giovanni originally premiered. That is also correct. That is um, cool. Tom Holtz practiced piano four to five hours a day a month before filming, so he could actually so he could actually play all of the pieces because um a series of musicians did a study on the film to to see if the notes being hit by everybody in the the notes being hit by everybody in the movie are the notes that you hear at the proper times and every single note lines up to every single sound that you hear so every every like pull of a string stroke of um hit a key anything it's it's exactly it's exactly accurate uh, because they played their own pieces. Um, Tom Holtz based his laugh, his obnoxious laugh, on a director that he had worked with, and he refuses to name who that is, yeah. which is pretty great. Uh, and he'll never do it now because he's dead. Tom Holtz is not dead. Pretty sure he is. He's not. I just saw him in something not too long ago. He directs. He directs stage stuff now. Okay. Pretty sure he was the therapist in Stranger Than Fiction, which was quite a while ago. But he was Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney film. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, did you not know that? No. Oh, there you go. See, that was a fun fact, and that was just from my brain. That really <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> I didn't even look that up. I just do that because they were really the only things that I was like, oh, I, I know this. This is the thing. So anyway. Um, that was, oopsie, I didn't mean to close my iPad because we got some rewindies to do. Yay! Rewindies. It's time for the rewindies. Rewindies. All right, here we go. You really need to come up with a theme song for that. It's the rewindies. Dun, da, da, actor, da. actress, supporting actor and actress, cinematography, special effects, production design, editing, sound design, and mixing, music, writing, and best picture. Are you ready, kids? Sure, yes. Why not? All right. Best actor goes to uh, F. Marie Abraham. Let's do it this. Way. We're going to do Scott and then Palmer and then myself. We'll go in that order. Unless, okay. Unless you want me to go second Palmer so you can figure out. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, Scott, what do you say? F. Marie Abraham. I agree. F. Marie Abraham for Amadeus. F. Marie Abraham for Amadeus. Wonderful. Best actress, Scott. Judy Davis, Passage to India. Judy Davis, Passage to India. I say Sally Field, even though I don't think the movie's very good. I think she's excellent. Sally Field. Sally Field. Supporting actor. I'm actually going to give it to Tom Hulse. I don't care that he was originally nominated for Best Actor. I really feel like he's more of a supporting actor, so I give it to him for Amadeus. Yeah, you know how it goes. I will follow Tracked with you and also give it to Tom Hulse, even though he was originally lead actor. John Malkovich, uh, Places of the Heart. At least you didn't say The Killing Fields. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> Cinematography. Oh, no, supporting actress. My apologies. Uh, Elizabeth Barrage for Amadeus. I'm going to give it to Peggy Ashcroft for Passage to India. Amadeus. And Elizabeth Barrage. Yep. Cinematography. Amadeus. A Passage to India. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to go with Passage to India. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Fancy. Special effects. Places in the heart for the tornado. 
pretty much all I could find was special effects. I thought about the Don Giovanni opera scene, but I'm going to go with Places in the Heart. Uh, I'm going to give it to the Killing Fields for the explosion and stuff like that. Yeah, Places of the Heart. Places of the Heart for the Tornado for Palmer. Production design. Oh, Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Amadeus. Rock me, Amadeus. Everybody says Amadeus. Editing. Amadeus. Uh, I will also say Amadeus. Amadeus. Okay. Sound design and mixing. Uh, Passage to India. I really like some of the sounds that just felt like ambient, like... I'm in India, and I just hear the sounds, and yeah, no one's paying attention to it. I agree. There's a lot of great ambient. There's a lot of great ambient. Ambient, sounds. yeah. Ambient. It's a lot of great Passage ambient. to India was pretty much just ambient. It was great ambient. <laughs> Sound design mixing. I am also. I'm going to give it to Amadeus because of the mixture. Because of the mixture of the music. Amadeus. Amadeus. Best music. Oh please, there was um, Amadeus. It's because it's Mozart. See, I'm not going to give it to Amadeus because it wasn't written for the film. Oh, you didn't that, say original score. Yeah, you didn't. No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm giving my reason. I'm not, I'm not booing Hiss. you. Hiss. Boo. So I'm giving it to a passage to India. I'm giving it to the Killing Fields for Imagine. Ew. 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 Yeah, the Killing Fields had terrible music. It like sometimes it was good, and then this weird synth would come in, and then it would come. Ah, oh, it was terrible. It but was it had so John Lennon's Imagine. It was so oh, bad. No. Best writing, original <laughs> or adapted, doesn't matter. Oh, it's Peter Schaefer for Amadeus because I think he does a great job of. You know, you guys complain a lot about how plays, like when they make them in the movies, they still feel like plays. I don't I complain like this... about it. It's just that you can you can tell. Right. I feel like this is one of those excellent examples of here's how you take a play and turn it into a movie. I agree, because if if you didn't know it was a play, it's not structured like that. And so and there's a lot of movement and a lot of different set pieces that you normally wouldn't find in a play. Like there's they go to a lot of different places. And so I I agree. Not doesn't feel like a play. Places of the heart. You give it to places of the heart. Yep. Okay. For whatever reasons. And then best picture. Amadeus. Amadeus. Places of the heart. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I knew it. Amadeus is good. Amadeus just falls short of places of the heart. It real. Oh my god. It really doesn't. It, it really it doesn't. Does. It really doesn't. It's that's such a weird. This will go down as one of the weirdest choices you have made on this show. And that's a will list. And that's a list. That is a list. Yeah, this will go down as a weird choice. I don't think so. I think time will bear me out on this. I think time is already bared. It, it's yeah. It's been nineteen eighty four. Well, it helps if someone actually saw Places of the Heart first. Like people out there, you don't have to watch the rest of them. Just watch Amadeus and Places of the Heart. That's <laughs> yeah. You know what? Actually, yes. yeah. Actually, do that. <laughs> I want to know do the reaction. That. Yep. Please, please, everyone, do that and tell us. Which one do you think is better? At Academy Rewind on Twitter. On right? Gmail. At Timothy no. on Twitter. Do not, not email us at, at do not email They've us at lost Academy the Rewind password. They've lost the password. I don't know what it is. It's probably one, two, three, four, five. It's the same combination on my luggage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. I should change the combination of my luggage. <laughs> Anyway, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this, thank you so much for joining us. This episode, did you have a good time? Oh, I always do, and you know, it, it's it helps when I beg. You know, it, it's amazing. You you still let me back on. Hey, hey, by all means, it's always fun to it's always fun to have somebody gang up on Palmer with me. Um, I felt he, like I spread the love me. around. Yeah, I was gonna say I actually said 
I agree with Palmer a couple of times this episode. It was weird. I felt dirty, but it happened. So mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of was like the middle ground between the two of you this episode. <laughs> no, it's nice. It's always nice to have a middle ground, even though Amadeus won out in the end, and that's the important part. All that yes, matters is. is I have the high ground. No, you don't, Anakin. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any legs, Anakin. <laughs> You're about to be eaten by the lava. <laughs> Swallow you may bowl. have You may have the high ground, but I have the high notes. Yeah, I can't even get close to that. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. (laughs) Next time on Academy Rewind, 1975 Best Picture nominees are The Towering Inferno, The Godfather Part 2, Lenny, The Conversation, and Chinatown. Is Lenny just about half of of Mice and Men? Lenny is the controversial comedian Lenny Bruce begins oh. his career telling bad jokes and bored audience in the nineteen fifties. Lenny Bruce is played by Dustin Hoffman. I was in close. That film it actually sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to all of those films, particularly looking forward to the conversation, which I have never seen, but always see on lists of like this is one of the best films about sound, about um, like with sound mixing and editing that there is because all the tension is built around the sound. So I'm looking forward ooh, to that. Ooh. Yep. So uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Palmer on Twitter at Academy Rewind. You can find myself at TimothyPG13. Scott, where can the people find you? At ScottDC27. Excellent. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all the places podcasts can be found at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Check out all other ThoughtBubble Audio shows. And, of course, you can rate, you can um, support the show and all ThoughtBubble Audio shows at Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio. Would be nice support. It does cost money to rent these movies to watch them. <laughs> So please support the show so I can continue to do this <laughs> so I don't end up on the street because of Academy Rewind. Just sell just sell pets for your cat. Just sell pets. pet my cat two dollars. Oh, I didn't I was like pets for my cat. I don't understand how that works. How do I people like petting cats? I thought you meant like get pets and then sell them and then give the money to my cat. It was I mean, much you more could confusing do in my head than it was in real life. Anyway, now I just now I just imagine your cat is Uncle Scrooge. Oh, I would love that. I should have named him Uncle Scrooge. What a great name. Well, anyway, Scott, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks, Palmer, for always being here. What a good person you are. I am. You are, and so humble too, just like Mozart. And but you know what? I'm glad we're, <laughs> we're, we're glad we're out of here, especially with that because I think they're playing us off. No, I have some other people to thank. Bad. Bye. 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 Bye.